I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start, and current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we're fatally distracted by the episode of NXT that originally aired on September 4th, 2013. In this episode, finishes are botched, boards are broken, and Bo Dallas continues to just be the fucking worst. Ah! Fuck you, Bo Dallas! Welcome to episode 16 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, there was tons of story and character development, which made Bob happy. Uh, This time around, I suspect she might be slightly upset about some of the results of the matches, (laughs) but hopefully she can manage to keep up her cheerful demeanor during Bob's breakdown, and then we get to make her really happy when we ring the bell. Oh, now I'm excited! As always, the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, the wrestling term of the week, and the cheap pop quiz are coming up later on. But we kick things off, as we always do, with the answers to last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. As a reminder, we are in our second round of 10-question quizzing. I mentioned in episode 15 that Megan Bob came into that episode's Cheap Pop Quiz with 8 points, needing only 2 more to once again reach 10. That was a mistake on my part, I miscounted. (laughs) Bob currently has 7 correct answers in this round, so... If she can sweep this one, she will earn another bonus podcast about a romance novel or fanfic of her choice. If not, she'll have to wait until a nebulous time somewhere in the future. Come on past me. All right. Question one. Because NXT is taped rather than live and because it's developmental, wrestlers sometimes make mistakes in front of the live crowd that get edited out for TV. But when a wrestler screws up or botches the move that's supposed to finish the match, there's not a whole lot you can do. Which of next episode's matches feature our first botched finish? Was it A, Bailey and Charlotte versus Alicia Fox and Oksana? B, Corey Graves versus Rick Victor? C, Alexander Rusev versus Mason Ryan? D, Sami Zayn versus Jack Swagger? Or E, both A and B? Bob, you chose A, Bailey and Charlotte versus Alicia Fox and Oksana. And as you may know by now, you are correct. Really? Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get there. Question two. Next episode, we kick off a new Leo Kruger feud as he attacks a wrestler in the parking lot. Who is the latest target of Kruger's aggression? Mm. A. Kurt Hawkins, because Hawkins doesn't really matter and Kruger needs a rebound after that championship loss. B. CJ Parker because there's only room for one man in NXT who plays with his hair. (laughs) C, Cesaro, because Kruger watched that two out of three falls match and thought, yes, that is a man I should piss off. (laughs) D, Xavier Woods, because a South African game hunter beating up a black man is fantastic optics. Or E, none of the above. Bob, you chose D, Xavier Woods. And unfortunately... (laughs) Oh boy, unfortunately. You're correct again. I got words about that. Hey, Silver Lining, you up to nine points. Yes. This round. And we have one more question left to go. Okay. And this is the one that uh, I didn't want to go into too much detail yet at the time, but uh, we'll go into more detail later on this episode. For now, the question was, what actor forms a tenuous bridge 
between an online fan theory about NXT that we will encounter for the first time in this episode, next episode then, and the popular television show Doctor Who. Was it A, David Tennant, B, Matt Smith, C, Peter Capaldi, D, Alex Kingston, or E, Karen Gillan? Bob, you selected the answer C, Peter Capaldi. Unfortunately, you are incorrect. Okay. Gotta wait one more episode, at least, for that last point. The correct answer was E, Karen Gillan. And we will get to that in this episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. All right. I'm very intrigued. I am intrigued to hear what's coming up in Bob's breakdown, Bob. So go ahead and uh, take it away. First of all, Miles. Yeah. Sweet 16. We've made it. We've got our provisional license and we're really starting to feel like we've got some things figured out. So happy Sweet 16, Miles. Happy Sweet 16, Bob. We can officially take every episode of this match put it in like a single elimination bracket and like, you know, have them fight it out over which which episode is the best one. Oh, my God. I love the two different angles that we come at this. (laughs) And that is the show in a nutshell. Exactly. So match one. And it is our very first Divas tag team match. And Mm -hmm. it's pretty much all of the lady on lady action I could ask for. So. (laughs) Bailey and Charlotte, team cheerful theater kids versus Alicia and Oksana, the girls who might be sexy vampires. Oksana in particular, like, is her character just that she fucks? (laughs) I mean, okay, headcanon, they are sexy vampires and they dunk on the Ascension together. (laughs) Because the Ascension are like, they're too into being vampires and that's Uh nerdy. So they're like, that makes sense to me. I like that. Fucking nerds. They just leave Oxen- blood bags on their stuff and they're like, oh, <laughs> lame. You know, the uh, the Titantron where it shows like images as wrestlers come out to the ring. Yes. Oksana's is literally just like sheets. It's just white sheets like what billowing the on the screen. Fuck? That's all it is. So it's just sheets. I want to know a lot about what the conversation was that sparked <laughs> Oksana's character. The funny thing is that Oksana, I believe, was actually in game show nxt back when it was the divas edition of game show nxt but i honestly remember nothing about her okay so i neglected to say this last time but oksana her theme music is just a sexy sax solo that's all it is her theme music is a sexy sax solo her titantron is billowing sheets and like her outfit is also just like weirdly sexy and all her gestures and stuff are just like weirdly sexy. Her character is literally just I am Lithuanian and I have sex with people. Yeah, those are the two poles that hold up this tent. What is under this tent is completely <laughs> unclear. That's all we have so far. Like I seriously wanted to bring up the sheets for uh, Sight Sounds Feels, but it wasn't just the sheets. It was everything. It was the entire yeah. presentation. It's just a general why about the nature <laughs> of this character. I do want to say, Miles, why is it taking this long for a women's tag team match? Are women's tag team matches rare? More rare than men's tag team matches, for sure, because up until recently in WWE, there was no such thing as the women's tag team championship, or at least there hadn't been since the 80s. That's a long, sordid story about what happened to the women's tag team championship back in the 80s. And I would love to tell it someday because I suspect a lot of wrestling fans don't know it. And it's actually really interesting. But, oh, yes. I um, love me a like history hour. So, yes, please. Later on. Yeah, maybe we'll do that on uh, on Wrestling History of the Week sometime, maybe. Basically, the deal is, is that for the most part, you only have men's tag team championships. So because 
because you have men's tag team championships, you need a men's tag team division. Like, that's kind of a common thing in all of wrestling and your promotion is that you have a tag team division. You don't see as many women teaming up because you don't see as many women in tag teams, like in regular tag teams, because there's usually no title to fight for. Now, that's, Ah. you know, there is one currently in WWE, although they don't do a very good job of um, featuring it. But uh, one does exist now. And also, I think it's uh, a symptom of the fact that a lot of wrestling promotions don't have a large women's roster or don't want to utilize large women's roster. So Mm. you just don't, you know, you're going to see them more often in in singles matches. Does NXT have a women's tag team championship? It does not. And I wish that it did, but it Mm. does not. Technically, the the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship is supposed to be defended and wrestled over across the brand. Like, it's not exclusive to Raw or SmackDown or anything. And it actually has been defended in NXT, I believe. The WWE Women's Tag Team Champions came to NXT and wrestled an NXT tag team. And that was actually a really good match that happened pretty recently uh, last year. But NXT does not have exclusive women's tag team championships. Okay. The bell goes and the crowd is chanting, Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. And Bailey does this aw shucks hand wave at the crowd. Miles, my heart grew three sizes. I know. I love how Charlotte is like getting the crowd to like chant louder and like really supporting her in her corner. Oh my God. So it starts with Oksana and Bailey and Oksana holds her arms out for a hug. And even I, a person who is outside the narrative and knows better, was momentarily seduced by this siren's promise of a hug. If a beautiful woman holds her arms out to me, I'm taking it. I don't care if there is a knife in her hand. Like I'm going for it. Well, here's the thing. Everyone knows better. And you can actually see Charlotte on the apron going like, oh, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) She just got everybody to like get pumped up about Bailey. And now Bailey's going to pull this stupid shit. Oh, my God. All right. So needless to say, Oksana's hug was a clever ruse that allows her to pick up Bailey and drop her on her back, followed up by a knee to the face and then an Mm. elbow drop. So Bailey's traded off to Alicia, who does that crisp photogenic northern light suplex oh it's so nice it's so so nice and oksana gets her manicured hands back on bailey she has her in a hold and the ref drops down into view to check on bailey holy shit that is the most bleach blonde early aughts boy band hair i have ever seen (laughs) i thought the ref was like a refugee from america's got talent that washed up on the shores of nxt Did you notice the ref? So that referee is Charles Robinson. He's a staple in the referee scene in WWE for many years, colloquially referred to as Baby Nate because of his resemblance to a young Ric Flair. His hair is super fucking blonde. That is for sure. And also that floppy haircut. You guys got to see a picture of this. It's something. I think he's one of the few referees that have been actually involved in storylines from time to time. He's been around a while, Baby Nate. Yay. Okay, so back to the match. Bailey rises from the hold and elbows Oxana in the gut a few times, but she's still deep in sexy vamp territory. Hasn't gotten a chance to touch Charlotte and tag in her tall cheerleader GF. So Bailey is on her feet and dodges Oxana and then grabs her from the front. Bailey gets that longed for hug and then does a belly to belly suplex, or as Bailey probably thinks of it, danger cuddles. <laughs> Bailey struggles over to make what should be a hot tag to Charlotte, but 
it's more a lukewarm tag. <laughs> Charlotte gets about 40 seconds of glory. It's not bad. Uh, she gets flung from the top rope by Fox and then turns it into a roll coming to land in an Avengers style crouch. Mm-hmm. And then she hoists Fox over her shoulder, but Bailey tags herself in by tapping Charlotte's back. Charlotte's like, what the fuck, babe? And right, in the confusion, yeah. Fox knocks Charlotte down. It looks like it's all going to go wrong as Fox throws Bailey back into the heel corner. But Bailey sinks to the mat, grabs those sexy gams of Alicia Fox's and rolls her up to pin her and end the match. Yeah. So I'm curious about this botch, but I also wanted to ask, given Charlotte's reaction, is it bad form to tag yourself in? It generally is bad form to tag yourself in. And in fact, it's a really specific storytelling device that is, uh, I think in this case is being used probably just to indicate that Bailey got a little bit overexcited. With that piece of grammar in the match, I would have expected Bailey to lose. Like I would have expected the story to be Bailey gets overexcited, tags herself in and loses the match because that really is the kind of thing that you would get from from that specific action. You're not wrong in picking up on that. Okay. Uh, oh, my God. Because yeah. then that means because my sense of it was similar that I thought, oh, no, Bailey got yeah. too overexcited. Bailey's going to lose. Yeah. I'm not sure why they did it that way, but maybe we'll see that develop down the line as uh, as we continue along with Bailey and Charlotte. Uh, I honestly don't remember. I'm looking at this finish again right now. I think what's supposed to happen is that Alicia throws Bailey into the corner, runs at her with the kick, and then Bailey is supposed to like duck out of the way, and the kick is supposed to hit Oksana and knock her off the apron. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if their timing was messed up or whatever, but it seems like Bailey didn't get out of the way in time or maybe Alicia didn't take enough time setting up the the spot, as they would call it, Um, because like her foot, it looked to me like her foot hit Bailey. Oksana fell off the apron and then Bailey rolled up Alicia kind of awkwardly for the win. Okay. so, you know, it's an example of like sometimes things go wrong. And like I said in the question, not only can you not edit it out when it's the finish, but when it's the finish, you just kind of have to do it sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, even though it didn't quite go right. Now, you know, a lot of wrestlers who are more experienced might have actually not let that be the finish. It might have improvised a new finish. Mm. Um, but looking back at it, it didn't go that bad. Like, it's not the worst botch by any stretch of the imagination that <laughs> I've ever seen. So maybe they just figured it was kind of, you know, it was loose enough. They would just go with it. The thing that really gives it away for me is Bailey's like really hesitant roll up. Like, did we just screw that up? Okay, fine. You know, like it did seem not as committed as I would have expected it, but I didn't necessarily know what was happening. Just that. Okay. The energy is a little weird here. You can just kind of tell because it doesn't feel like the finish. You know, it didn't successfully accomplish what it was trying to do. Okay. Backstage, Rusev is lurking near Scott Dawson and Sylvester LaFort. Lurking is a really good word for that. <laughs> it was weird because you're like, oh, there's just the two of them. And then suddenly the camera moves and you're like, oh, Rusev's ah. just there. Yeah, and he's huge. <laughs> so they're playing to take my beautiful pony, Mason Ryan, down. LaFort reminds a flossing Dawson that Mason Ryan humiliated him and reminds Rusev that Dolph Ziggler clowned on him. So LaFort asks Rusev, what are you going to do to Mason Ryan? And Rusev's like, Here's a metaphor I prepared earlier and pulls out a plank of wood with the name Mason burned onto it like you would see above a kid's door. And then he, he breaks it over his knee. Miles, within the fiction, do you think the implication is that Rusev makes these name planks himself or that he has someone make one as and when the need arises? I think he has to make them himself. I mean, he has two of them. 
in I this know. episode. How did he have two of them? And also, <laughs> how many does he have? Does he just come to work with a backpack of them? Does he come to work with a bunch of boards that don't have anything burned into them and one of those like wood burning tools that he just right. keeps plugged in and hot like a glue gun in case he needs to suddenly burn one in there? Well, so it really depends on like how early he gets the notice of who he's going to wrestle, right? Because like oh if he finds out the day before, then he probably spends all night like with his crafting kit, you know, doing their names like on all the different boards. But if he doesn't find out until he gets to the building, which is not uncommon for wrestlers, then I can just imagine him like frantically like, oh, shit. OK, and one more. I've, I've only got four. You know what? Four is going to have to be enough. It's going to have to be enough. I probably <laughs> won't even need three. Like, it'll be fine. I also love that there's this dual side of Rusev as like barbarian warrior type figure and then also guy who does woodcrafts. <laughs> like it's a really incongruous kind of overlap. I don't know, man. Like knowing Rusev as I know him now all these years later, I, I could kind of see it. He does seem like 20% sweet nerd. Yeah. I fucking love Rusev. I have seen one thing with Rusev at one point. The only thing I remember is that he had a storyline where he got married to a character, maybe in real life as well. Something about the wedding going wrong. And he seemed like a soft boy in that. Yeah, we don't have to talk about that right now. Oh, okay. That's that's kind of painful these days. Oh, no. Okay. So match two, Rick Victor is here to fight Corey Graves. Both of them are accompanied mm-hmm. by their respective fight babes, Connor O'Brien and Adrian Neville. Rick Victor is holding Corey Graves tag team belt hostage. So I guess NXT operates on the law of finders keepers. Stealing the championship belt is a storyline heel tactic, but Connor O'Brien is not a tag team champion just because he happens to have the belt. Like That's it's still what's so Corey weird Graves about belt. it. It's like if somebody stole your award at work, it's not like they have won the award or that it means anything. It still has your fucking name on it. Yeah, They're exactly. Like, oh man, employee of the month over my dead body. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so you're just going to take it so I don't have it. All right, fair enough. For important reasons, Graves has his ribs still bandaged up. And the bell goes and Graves throws his jean vest at Victor's face to distract him like, think fast. (laughs) I only saw that like the third time I watched it and it made me so happy that he pulled like a big brother move. And then he falls on Victor, raining down blows on his head. Graves is coming in hungry. Like, he smacks Victor in the turnbuckle a couple times, gets in some juicy kicks. Graves attempts a pin, and when that fails, instead starts kicking the back of Victor's thighs. So Victor gets back a little momentum, though, and getting up, shoving Graves into the corner and going for that exceedingly highlighted rib injury with punches and kicks. This fight may as well be a boss battle in Zelda where the part you need to hit just glows red. Like, (laughs) that's all that was there for. Graves does a suplex on Victor, smacks him in the nose, and then shows him that stay down tattoo. And, okay, if I got a novelty tattoo as part of my gimmick and had to have it etched on my body for the rest of my life... Honestly, okay, I too would be employing it every opportunity to make myself feel like it wasn't a huge mistake. <laughs> it's still like, a, no, it's cool. Yeah, it's still a weird move, but like I get it if I had made that commitment and gone to the tattoo parlor and paid money. I too would be working that into my gimmick at every opportunity to go, all right, I have to live with this. I have to look at this every time I wash my hands until I die. (laughs) So Rick Victor tries to kick Graves, but Graves catches the leg and shoves it back down. And then Graves tries to kick Victor, who catches his leg. So Graves just flies up with his other leg to pop Victor in the snoot. It looks so clean and crisp and beautiful. Very balletic. 
And then Victor scuttles to the corner. So Graves tries to come at him, but Victor flips him out on the ropes and Graves ends up hitting his ribs on the way to the outside. So back in the ring, Victor gets Graves down on the mat and does some weird kneading of Graves' ribs, like doing these (laughs) little air humps as he rolls his knee into Graves' injured side. He's crouching over Graves like an incubus that's very confused about what seduction means. He's like, this is hot, right? And everyone's like, no. No, not so much. It's awkward. It's that. So Victor goes for a submission hold. He looks over at O'Brien, who's holding the belt up and nodding like, babe, if you win this match, I will wear this and only this for you the next time we bang in our fave cemetery. (laughs) Victor's like, oh, babe, that's hot. Graves gets out and then very weirdly, Victor rolls around the mat like a cat in heat, just dodging Graves hits and then batting at him. And then he slinks over to get him in a submission hold. This time, it does look like Graves is going to pass out. So like five people in the audience are chanting, Corey, Corey, Corey. You know, those five people, I get it. Those five people, you know, I've made some decisions in my life too. But I mean, I guess those five people were enough because... Graves struggles out and battles back to get in multiple hits to the head and then a big old clothesline on Victor. And Graves goes to the corner to sit for a second and O'Brien comes stalking along the apron to get him. But Halfling Monk flies in to take O'Brien out like, no one touches my elf but me. (laughs) And then Victor comes over to Graves, hoists him up. But Graves moves his body weight to drag Victor to the mat and pretzels him into a really cool looking pin to win the match. Say what you will about Corey Graves. That was a really good looking. Um, I think I believe it's a crucifix pin. OK, yeah, is what it's referred to as it looked real good. Very nicely done. And I like the storytelling here of, uh, you know, Neville getting involved to save Graves and it almost costing Corey, but Corey still managing to to reverse Victor's attempt to, to hit him and, and roll him up for the win. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was the finish was well done. I thought the match itself dragged a lot and they didn't. Yeah. Really do all that much maybe that's a symptom of the whole story with the injured ribs and everything where it's like you know it's not really going to be exciting to watch a guy just kind of like jab at another guy's ribs a lot or whatever (laughs) try to like injure his midsection but still i feel like it could have been maybe a little bit better than this yeah it was a weird one to try and do the breakdown for because i'm like nothing's happening but also they're doing moves but it's not doing anything i don't know Backstage, Summer Rae is doing some sorority bullying of Sasha Banks about how she needs to become relevant. Relevant. That's the most I've heard the word relevant used in quite some time. (laughs) So she has become relevant in her fight against Paige. The acting in this, about three steps up from the acting in your average piece of pornographic cinema, I would say. It's real bad. (laughs) I noticed in my third watching of it, Summer Rae has studied at the William Shatner School of Acting because, boy, does she pause a lot in her delivery of lines. Yeah, and Sasha. She's trying. I love Sasha. Y'all know how much I love Sasha Banks. Talking into a camera has never been her strong suit. Mm. It's still not her strong suit. She's still not super good at it. But, boy, when she first started, she (laughs) was terrible. Yeah, it's a lot of baby's first play. It's real sweet, but... I mean, hey, developmental, you know? They're still learning. For all that a lot of guys who come into WWE off the independent scene don't need to be in developmental, even though they end up going there, it's like, what are you doing putting... Honestly, what are you doing putting Sami Zayn there? He knows what he's doing already. But there's a real argument to be made for taking these independent wrestlers who are already good at the wrestling part 
Mm-hmm. They already know how to get reactions from crowds. They know how to present themselves in a ring. And there's a real argument for taking those people and being like, okay, here's a state-of-the-art facility where you're not only going to become a better wrestler, but you're going to learn how to be a character in a TV show on camera. I think that's one of the most valuable things that NXT has done for the company as a whole. There's this whole new generation of talent that, you know, had coaches sit down with them and be like, here's how to talk, you know? Mm. And like, God, Sasha needed every bit of it. <laughs> for contrast, backstage still, it's Paige and Renee. So Paige came here to, quote, cover girls in the middle of that ring and uh, other sapphic things. I'm into that. Yeah. And then she does this sexy little grin as she's talking to Renee. By the time Paige strolls off, Renee looks a little horny for it. Renee is all of us. I was like, well, <laughs> this is everything I needed. She's gorgeous. <laughs> and she's like, tough girl. Oh, all of it. The one thing that tripped me up about this segment was... The thing with Summer and Sasha just happened like a few minutes ago, and she's directly referencing things they said in the previous oh, segment. Oh, boy, that was, didn't even fucking occur to me because I was so like, oh, oh, like, Paige, it, you're so I beautiful. <laughs> I'm just saying it just happened like literally a few minutes before. How did she know? Was she spying on them? You know, you're really pointing out the narrative plot holes that I'm just like, who cares? Paige did a sexy smile. It doesn't have to be a plot hole, Bob. Was she spying on them? Maybe. Or maybe Renee was spying and reported back. I don't know. Mm, that's a good point. Maybe Renee was just doing her job as a journalist. Yeah. And was like before the cameras came on page, it was like, hey, just so you know, like, I'm going to ask you this question about these things that these girls said, because like I, I got inside information. That makes sense to me. I'm still cool with bubble goth like Emma and Paige. I'm down with it. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of feeling this. This Renee Page energy. Match three, Rusev is introduced by Sylvester Lafour <laughs> in his golden sparkle jacket. Rusev has another prepared board that says Mason on it and he breaks it. You know, we've already touched on it. I just, it's unclear how many boards he has at any moment. Yeah. Clearly plenty. Mason Ryan enters like the beautiful equine he is chomping at the bit. This is the first time Mason Ryan's gotten to have an actual match. I was mm-hmm. really happy with that. So Yeah, it really is like an actual good wrestling match or decent wrestling match. Absolutely. So they lock up and seem very evenly matched. Ryan gives Rusev a shoulder bump that takes him down. But then they both get the same idea to use the ropes and whip themselves at each other. But Rusev curls up and throws all 300 pounds of himself at Ryan's chest. Needless to say, Ryan goes down. Yeah. So he's down on the mat and Rusev does some like batshit burpees where he slaps his face and then drops down on Ryan, pops back up, slaps his face and then does it again. I don't understand what that was about. Rusev things, I guess. Hashtag Rusev things. Yeah. So Ryan is struggling, which I'm not happy about. Ryan's in the corner catching his breath and Rusev runs for him and Ryan dodges out of the way. So Rusev crashes into the turnbuckle in the corner and Ryan does get some momentum. And after a boot to the face, Rusev is down on the mat. So Scott Dawson tries to come up and get a hit on Ryan, but ends up thrown into the ring and then out of the ring again by Ryan. And then human collection of sequence, Sylvester LaFour looks like he's going to get in on the action. Are we going to get to see this Frenchman fight? Not really, no. I I was hoping, (laughs) but no. What we see instead is Rusev just careen into Ryan while Ryan's distracted by all those fucking sequins. (laughs) And it gets him down the mat and into a hold that makes Ryan tap out. Mason Ryan taps out. Yeah, he tapped out quick, too. 
That seems so weird. Okay, so Miles, this match felt like the story is two big dudes wailing on each other. And then at the last minute, the story suddenly went, no, actually, this isn't a swashbuckling action adventure. It's actually a mystery thriller. Have this submission hold. I don't have questions, just a what the fuck. It's meant to be kind of a powerful submission hold, like a submission hold used by real strong dudes. Okay. So I think it was meant to kind of continue the tone of the match in that way. I was surprised by how quickly they had Mason tap out, because like usually you struggle in it a little bit. Yeah, I thought that was a little weird too, but all right. That finishing move was not invented by Rusev. It goes back a long time. It's called the Camel Clutch. Um, It is... A move traditionally given to heels with the gimmick of foreigner. What? Yeah, it was because it was initiated by the Iron Sheik, who was the Uh, big Iranian bad guy back in the 80s. Was he actually Iranian? uh, Yes, he is actually Iranian. Okay, all right, I'll accept it. It was later used by other evil foreigners, however, including in an immediately post 9-11 world, Muhammad Hassan, who is the, uh, the Middle Eastern character who's angry about being discriminated against, which makes him a heel. Uh, and also the dude playing him was Italian. So um, oh. he used the camel clutch as well. Uh, Rusev uh, bringing a little bit more respectability to it, but uh, definitely continuing on the tradition of being the Bulgarian brute, as Ford calls him. Welp, I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I guess. So uh, things get worse because way backstage... <laughs> Like in the parking lot, Xavier Woods is on the ground clutching his head while Leo Kruger stands above him giggling. The optics of this are really bad. Like, okay, so the U.S. obviously has a horrible history of brutality against black people. But damn, South Africa also definitely has this. Yeah, South Africa might be the only country whose history is worse. Yeah, I cared not for this. Like, I'm not saying that you can't have storylines with a heel that's white and a face that's black. But this seems especially poorly planned and also feels like it comes out of nowhere, which is just bad for narrative reasons. It failed on multiple fronts. Given the complete lack of buildup to it, and given that we just cold cut over to the attack having already taken place and Kruger standing over him, it legitimately just looks like he went hunting for black people. And it it's not, really it's does not seem like, oh, okay, the reason he did this is because he's a white South African, which is yeah. like, that can't possibly be the tone they thought they were going for, but... Boy, if it doesn't feel like that. And it was way unsettling. They don't present any other reason for it to be happening. So it's like you have to kind of make up your own. And that's just kind of the first place your brain goes because he's South African and he's black. And it's like, I suspect it's just poorly thought through, but it's really, really poorly thought through. Does not age well at all. I'm curious about... How diverse, uh, boy, that's, I'm sure the answer to this is going to be not very, how diverse the writer's room at any of these is. Because I know there's, you know, the characters or the actors have some say in how their storyline develops. But Mm -hmm. whenever they have writers sort of thinking through, okay, this is the overall architecture of it. Do they actually have people of color? Do they have women? Do they have people of, you know, different religious backgrounds, any of that in there going, I think this is not going to go the way you think it's going to go or going, yeah, actually, that's a progressive and interesting storyline that does something we haven't seen before. No, the the WWE writer's room is changing all the time. NXT writer's room may be a little bit less so, but for the most part, no, it's it's. 
It's pretty much all white dudes. Um, mm, you know, that's unfortunate. Th- I feel like it really limits the kind of stories we're ever going to get to see, and that's such a bummer. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, the problem is, is that on the main roster, there's barely any point in having a creative writing team because Vince McMahon will invariably throw their shit in the garbage and rewrite the show himself at the last minute anyway. And he's an old white dude. That, I'm excited you know, for him to pass away. That'll be interesting. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm excited for him to die, just to pass away. Yeah, to leave. Okay, so anyway, speaking of racism, xenophobia, and other products of white supremacist ideologies. (sighs) Sure. It's, quote, real American Jack Swagger against Canadian-born of Syrian descent, Sami Zayn. So, fuck yeah, Sami Zayn. Which, thankfully, the crowd is super on board with Sami Zayn. So, Swagger is strong. And that's like, that's fine. Sami Zayn is a gift to watch. He yes. is amazing. Swagger runs at Zane, but like a fucking ripped antelope, Zane just bounds and kicks out of the way. And Swagger makes a grab, but Zane leaps up to kick him in the neck with both feet, and the crowd is screaming for Zane. Swagger gets outside the ring, and Zane runs to leap at him, and instead grabs the top rope and bounces it on his butt into a backflip and lands in the middle of the ring to insane cheers. Yeah, and it was pretty fucking rad. It's so good. And the crowd is like chanting his Olay thing from when he was in Chikara or whenever mm. he was El Generico. I don't know. He wasn't El Generico just in Chikara, I don't think. No, but, he was El Generico in a lot of places. So I was like with the crowd going, fuck yeah, some of that crazy shit. Zane drags Swagger back into the ring and is momentarily distracted by a human bag of shit, Zeb Coulter, which lets Swagger run at him. And now Zane is in the corner being mashed into a paste. Swagger does a big suplex, but Zane doesn't check out of the fight. He just keeps throwing hits. And at one point, Sammy takes a clothesline that swings him up and around Swagger's shoulder like he is a ragdoll. It's one of the greatest clothesline cells I've ever seen. It was incredible. It looked the way I think a clothesline should make you feel. And (laughs) it's incredible. So Sammy does recover and Swagger starts to run at him, but Zane gets to the rope and pulls it down, causing Swagger to topple over to the outside. And then Zane follows it up by leaping out onto Swagger. The crowd goes banana cakes. They have been waiting for this match and they are so here for Sammy Zane. And then back in the ring, Zane does a crossbody from the top rope onto Swagger. And while it is some absolutely some airbud shit, it is not enough. <laughs> Swagger just keeps kicking out of every pin attempt like an asshole. (laughs) And Zane lifts Swagger up, which blew my mind. I was never expecting him to be able to get a guy that big like Mm. up. He does slam him down the mat. And this is feeling really evenly matched. Maybe like Zane can pull it off. I was in it every single time I watched it. Come on, maybe this time, Zane. Swagger tries another submission hold. No dice. Zane does a high kick to Swagger's face in a pin attempt. No dice. The crowd is slamming their feet on the bleachers by this point. Zane powerbombs Swagger from the rope and another pin. Swagger kicks out. And then like that one house fly, he just cannot kill. No matter how hard you try, Bo Dallas buzzes in. Yeah, he does. I will say, his hair has never looked this shiny. It is like a fucking Pantene Pro-V commercial. It is gorgeous. Yeah, the I'm like kind of offended when he like ties it back now. Like, let that shit go, man. Yeah, that's your one saving grace. That is the thing about you that is not reprehensible. <laughs> Bo Dallas 
allegedly came here to cheer Sami Zayn and I guess yell advice that Zayn doesn't need, which is like, I don't know what he was saying, but probably just like, oh yeah, pin him. Zayn's like, no shit. That's what we're here for. Zayn comes over to the ropes to be like, yeah, I know. And that gives Swagger (laughs) the opening to pull a submission move on Zayn that makes him tap out. So, fuck Bo Dallas. Yeah, Swagger had him in that ankle lock earlier in the match, and he went back to it, and Sammy, Sammy Zayn couldn't hold on anymore. And I will say, Bo Dallas looked sorry. Not nearly as fucking sorry as he should be. Seppuku, right now, you useless dickhead. <laughs> Put that belt down and go get yourself a fucking katana. Or maybe do the Seppuku thing with the belt, and it might take you a little bit longer, but, like, keep trying. Yeah, you could do it. Thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. Uh, How'd you feel about this episode as a whole? I think I appreciated the wrestling of it more than I have in previous matches. It sounded like it. Yeah, the wrestling actually contributed to the story for me. And I also felt like I got to see more weird shit. Because not every time do you get to watch, you know, the match get some weird moves in there, some moves that are interesting looking. And this one I felt like had some... Some of that circus quality to it that I really love, where I'm like, yeah. oh, man, I saw a 300-pound man throw himself at another 300-pound man. That's amazing. Yeah. Any of that stuff, I will say that by far the most boring match was easily Corey Graves and Rick Victor. I could have done with some more, like, crazy shit from the women's match, but it was a bunch of beautiful women, so I was okay with it. Well, fair enough. Uh, we are going to move on to uh, the rest of our show, but before we do... Time to ring the bell. I mean, I'm praying it's Bo Dallas. I don't think it is, but I'm always going to be praying it's Bo Dallas from now on. On this episode, Bob, we are ringing the bell for Jack Swagger. Okay, you know what? That's better than this case. I That is better. Fuck off, Jack Swagger. I hope you die in a fire, although I know you don't. <laughs> so Jack Swagger is a former decorated amateur wrestler who logged about a decade in WWE from the mid-aughts to the mid-tens. He got a pretty strong push at the beginning of his career, despite the fact that his character was basically just formerly decorated amateur wrestler Jack Swagger uh, and was briefly World Heavyweight Champion in 2010, but never really saw any sustained success. We're catching him here in his first and only televised NXT match. After this, he goes back to teaming with Cesaro as the Real Americans on Raw and SmackDown. He and Cesaro would later break up and feud with one another. Uh, after which Swagger ironically spent the latter days of his WWE career losing to wrestlers who had been called up from NXT. Nice. Putting them over. He spent a couple of years after his release as an independent wrestler, most notably helping to just absolutely ruin the fourth season of Lucha Underground. Mm. No thank you for that. And of course, last year he was signed by All Elite Wrestling, where he is a member of the Inner Circle and spends most of his time standing silently next to Chris Jericho while Chris Jericho is doing wildly entertaining Chris Jericho things. So honestly, that's probably the best use for him in wrestling at this point. If he's got to be on my screen, sure, why not? (laughs) Yeah, that is the one position I will accept him in as silent tall guy. He is also a real life MAGA enthusiast and Trump supporter. And as a result, that is all the time we have for him on this podcast so bye jack with that i think we're gonna move into the sight sounds and feels of pro wrestling yeah so in this episode what did your elf eyes see my elf eyes saw the absolute commitment of scott dawson to flossing Scott Dawson, unlikely poster boy for gum health. Oh, man. As someone who has been 
fighting for the last several years to get my gums back up to health. Gums, and, man. Uh, they're, they're, they're a important. whole thing. They're really important. I ignored mine for many years, and I came to my senses a few years back and really worked hard, and I just saw a dentist, and my dentist told me that I had done all the right things, and I should keep doing them. So oh, I man. was proud of myself. I find Scott Dawson inspirational in that regard, and I'm glad you brought it up, Bob. I finally got explained to me what flossing is for. Because uh-huh. nobody had told me. They're just like, oh, it's just good for you. And I'm like, well, so's fucking taking a daily vitamin, but I ain't doing that shit either. So right, yeah. what exactly are you trying to sell me on? And then they were like, oh, well, if you don't, the bacteria that lives in your gums will make your teeth fall out. And I was like, why didn't you lead with that, <laughs> asshole? And they're like, oh, also, it's been linked to Alzheimer's, like that bacteria. And they're like, really? You had all this just in the chamber and you didn't you didn't decide oh, to yeah. talk about any of that? You just wanted to say, hey, it's good for you. Like it increases your risk of heart disease. Like yeah, it's, it's so bad. many things that they were like, nah, we're not gonna tell you that. I'm like, so you just don't want people to floss? Are you just trying to kill people? I mean, look, Scott Dawson is out here just doing the Lord's work. Yeah, yeah, much more so than every other dentist and dental hygienist I have ever met in my life. So, <laughs> Scott Dawson, you're a hero. You are going to lead us into a golden age of flossing. Scott Dawson, a better dentist than your dentist. Yeah, which is weird because it doesn't seem like he's a guy who washes his hands <laughs> that much, but really committed it's, to flossing. It's such a strange character choice. I appreciate it so much. The flossing mechanic. <laughs> Miles, what did your elf eyes see? You know, sometimes, Bob, we're just in sync and, and my elf eyes saw something from this particular backstage scene as well. It's interesting that you called Scott Dawson a poster boy because I noticed all the posters Ah. on the back wall. There's actually uh, four posters on the back. From left to right, you can see as the camera pans back and forth between Dawson and LaFort and Rusev. So on the far left, there's a poster of a WWE magazine cover, which is billed as the power issue Mm. and has on its cover a wrestler by the name of Ryback, who... uh, Without getting into it here, uh, Ryback sucks and he's not wrestling anymore and it makes me happy. Okay. Um, Moving on from that one, there's a poster for Triple H's DVD, which I believe was called Thy Kingdom Come. Okay. Was it like a workout DVD? No, no, it was like a DVD about his career and shit. Oh, ah, come on. I want like a Triple H workout DVD. Moving on from there, we had a poster for what was then the upcoming WWE pay-per-view Night of Champions 2013. That's a show where every champion in the company has to defend their title. And the uh, gentleman being featured on uh, this particular poster was none other than then Intercontinental and more recently WWE champion Kofi Kingston. Uh And finally, and most strangely, there is a poster behind Rusev's head for most of that scene. It looks like it's a director's chair, and there's a big paragraph of text on it that I couldn't read. But at the top, it says executive producer, and in larger letters, Cheryl Ann Martin. Okay. Cheryl Ann Martin is one of the producers of films that include, well, she's a producer of uh, the Westworld TV show. She produced Castaway and What Lies Beneath and Road to Perdition and Constantine and Flight and Welcome to Marwin. She was involved in Forrest Gump and Rain Man. I don't know why (laughs) this woman has a random poster. That, like, good for them, but also what a weird pull. I was like, oh, I'll, you know, 
this will be my my fun uh, sight, sound, feels thing. I'll talk about the random posters in the background. Hey, cool, we got Ryback, got Triple H, got Kofi, and wh- who? Who is that? I can't find any connection between her and WWE. So if you oh, know, man. then reach out. If you know why there would be a poster with the name of Cheryl Ann Martin back there in full sale, please let me know. Yeah, I'm very curious. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? And why was it not Alex Riley being terrible? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that. No, it was uh, needless to say, it was a Sylvester LaFour thing. Because, I mean, if it's not going to be William Regal, to me, it's always going to be Sylvester LaFour, pretty much. Okay, fair. Is the bit where he says, and then we go to Sizzler. And Scott Dawson's like, Sizzler, I love Sizzler. <laughs> Can I tell you something, Bob? Yes. Can I tell you something to save time? What? That's what my human heart felt. <laughs> Scott Dawson's so excited that they get to go to Sizzler. And you know what? Rusev won the match, so they actually got to go to Sizzler. And it makes me so happy for him. He got to eat his favorite food at Sizzler, and then he got to do his favorite thing, which is floss his teeth afterward. (laughs) It's a banner day for Scott Dawson. All right. What did your Vulcaneers hear, Miles? Well, I was really tempted to make my Vulcaneers hear thing about the fact that at least on my viewing on WWE Network, when they come back from commercial break and it's time for the main event and Sami Zayn is coming out, there's a weird like two seconds where you hear like a commercial. I kind of noticed that, too, and I just went, oh, that's weird. Unfortunately, then Alex Riley continued talking and I couldn't not make the segment about how Hmm. Alex Riley is just shit at everything he does in wrestling. I'm sorry. I I, I don't have anything against the man personally. He was very good in that one episode of Glow. Sure? But like, he's just, he's not a good wrestler and he's garbage on commentary, man. And he does the thing that I fucking hate whatever they do, which is he won't fucking stop talking about other sports and comparing these wrestlers to like other sports. And it's like this thing that WWE is obsessed with. Like we have to look legitimate. We have to pretend that we're our wrestlers or have competed in other sports. And it's like, yeah, he was a football player. And it's like, yeah, man, he's a washed up football player. Can we talk about how he's a good wrestler? Mm. Like why? There's just so many things he did during this episode that pissed me off. I could not get through a match or a segment without Alex Riley pissing me off in some way so william regal's back next episode and thank god yay all right bob what did your human heart feel so much bisexual delight just getting to see four women in the ring was great getting to see some array and sasha do some backstage shenanigans was great in its own Mm -hmm. way not in an acting way but in just a fun way Getting to see Paige do her Dom flirting routine with Renee was great. Yes, I had Mason Ryan feelings, but just more women doing stuff, please. It was great. I was really happy. There were two separate women's stories being advanced in this episode, which I appreciate. And the Paige, Summer, Sasha stuff got two different segments. And it was a pretty good episode for women's representation, you know? Yeah, I was pleased. Those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. And now it is time for the wrestling term of the week. But first... Bob has to present her fanfic explaining last week's wrestling term of the week, which was distraction finish. Bob, take it away. Before I get started, I just want to thank Crinch Rap on Twitter for this idea that captured my imagination and my heart. Nick screamed. 
Take him out at the knees, Gatsby. <laughs> Gatsby beamed that thousand watt smile at him and pushed his feathery blonde hair out of his eyes. Nick felt his heart clench. Sure, he had to do that romance storyline with Jordan, but he wasn't sure he'd ever be a good enough actor to hide how he felt about his tag team partner, Jay Gatsby. Unfortunately, the reason Gatsby was in the ring with Tom at all was about Daisy. Like everything else in Gatsby's life, Daisy was usually at the center of things. Nick was just some orbiting body pulling along in Gatsby's wake. But Gatsby could win this fight. He'd taken Tom on before and come away the victor. Gatsby lunged through the ropes to spear Tom down onto the ramp on the outside. Tom landed, heavy limbs sprawling, but the music shifted and the crowd quieted. A green light at the top of the ramp. It was Daisy. Her large, blinking eyes looking in faint surprise at Gatsby as he tried to haul Tom back into the ring for the pin. Nick wanted to run at her, clothesline her and drag her backstage so Gatsby would focus. This wasn't fair. Gatsby didn't deserve this. Gatsby let go of Tom and took a staggering step towards the green glow illuminating Daisy. Tom dropped to the floor and kicked Gatsby's feet out from under him, causing Gatsby to hit his head on the ring apron. Tom hefted Gatsby into his arms and shoved him under the rope, crawling on top of him for the pin. Nick glared at Daisy, who looked away regretfully. Tom rolled out of the ring to join Daisy at the top of the ramp, throwing an arm roughly around her. Daisy winced at the tight hold, but didn't say anything. The crowd booed as the two went backstage. Nick got into the ring, cradling Gatsby's head in his lap. He got you with a cheap move with that distraction finish. He knew he couldn't beat you in a fair fight. Gatsby smiled faintly, laying his hand over Nick's. I'll get him next time, old sport. Nick sighed and looked away. It's so good. (laughs) There's another story I could talk about for days. It's like the fact that Nick Carraway fucking loves Jay Gatsby and the story is not about that despite the fact that the story should 1000% be about that. The story is also kind of very much about that. That was superlative, Bob. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Cringe Wrap, you gave me a gift. You gave us all a gift. Yeah, I've had this story in my heart all along, but I didn't know it was there. And if you (laughs) want to put stories in my heart or help me find stories that are in my heart, please hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or send us an email at nextwrestlingfan at gmail.com. And uh, let me know what your character suggestions are. I have a big list of them, but I am always open to being surprised. And boy, was the idea of Jay Gatsby as a wrestler a surprise to me. But the wrestling term of the week is uh, kind of an easy one. One that I've been dancing around for a while, kind of waiting for the, the right opportunity, the opportune moment. Okay. The wrestling term of the week is turn. Oh, man, this is going to be like push. Am I going to get fooled again? No, no, no. I'm pretty sure you have the basics of this one, but we're going to go over them. To turn in wrestling is to change your alignment, Mm. usually from good to evil or vice versa, although there are as many kinds of turns as there are shades of gray. Traditionally, though, one turns face or turns heel. A turn can happen over a long period of time with tons of buildup and foreshadowing, or it can happen without warning in shocking fashion. This can depend on the type of turn in play. Face turns usually have more buildup to them as the villain slowly realizes she's been wrong this whole time. Aww, that's nice. Or like, you know, slowly starts to come around more and more to the, the babyface's point of view. Heel turns tend to be of the shocking surprise variety as the intent is to make the audience feel betrayed. As a result, heel turns usually involve the heel turning on someone. Uh, say Bo Dallas turned on Sami Zayn, mm. you know, something like that, even though he really didn't. But um, I certainly feel betrayed just by the fact that Bo Dallas exists. That's fair. 
The most memorable turns happen in or around the ring so the crowd can react to them, and the best ones involve storytelling and character motivations. Crowd reaction is an important factor in turns. They are generally more successful when they allow the crowd to cheer a wrestler they've been wanting to like this whole time, or boo a wrestler they've been wanting to hate this whole time. But then again, crowds are weird. There have been several notable heel turns, particularly in modern wrestling, that made the crowd cheer when the person turned heel. The best recent example of this is Becky Lynch, whose current superstardom actually began when she turned heel on Charlotte Flair to raucous applause. Wow. Turns can also be teased but not actually carried out, again, to elicit a certain type of fan response. We saw this very recently on uh, an AEW storyline where John Moxley teased turning heel but ultimately did not. I debate whether or not he counts as a face as well, but yeah, arguably. Like I said, there's shades of gray. He teased explicitly joining up with the worst people on the show. Yeah, true. Boy, did so. he. He got me. Turns can also occur as the result of a wrestler coming back back with a different alignment after having been gone for a while. If a wrestler is injured and then comes back from injury or leaves the company and then comes back, they frequently return as a different alignment, usually to kind of get the crowd excited about seeing them. Oh, it's like the same person from before, but new and different. Mm. Whether related to an absence or not, turns ideally occur only at important inflection points in a wrestler's career, rather than just, you know, whenever. The wrestler known on the main roster as The Big Show has turned face and heel so many times over the course of his lengthy career that it's become a running joke whenever he shows up. The only real turn we've seen so far in NXT, the only real alignment shift, is Bo Dallas. And Bo is an interesting case where his character was clearly rewritten in response to crowd reaction. You can tell his heel turn wasn't intended from the beginning because there's not really that one moment where it's clear the turn has happened and the crowd has a chance to, like, react to it all at once. He just kind of started embracing the fact that people hated him without really changing his character a lot, you know? Yeah. Now, will we get a different kind of turn on the next episode? Hence the reason for finally talking about it now, you ask? Don't worry about it. Oh, ooh, okay. So uh, that was the turn. Come back next episode for Bob's fanfic detailing her understanding of that terminology. Oh, man, I'm going to have to really think about characters for this one. Well, uh, we're coming to the end of our our allotted time here on this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. But before we go, we got to get into the cheap pop quiz. Oh, man, I want that one point so bad. All right. Question number one. As mentioned in the last Cheap Pop Quiz, this episode featured the first botched finish of our NXT coverage. Next episode, we get the opposite. Enzo Amore and Colin Cassidy versus Scott Dawson and Alexander Rusev ends with a sequence that clearly wasn't supposed to be the finish, but the referee decided to actually follow the rules of wrestling and ended the match anyway for the sake of believability. How does this go down? Is it A, Scott Dawson rolls up Enzo, who is clearly supposed to kick out, but doesn't kick out in time, and the ref counts the three. B, Sylvester LaFort is supposed to interfere in the match by kicking Cassidy in the balls behind the ref's back, but he's out of position and the ref sees him, so he disqualifies the team. C, Dawson tags in Rusev, but doesn't get out of the ring before the five count and the ref disqualifies him. D, Enzo has been beaten up on the outside of the ring and is supposed to just barely make it back into the ring before the ref's 10 count, but he trips, doesn't make it, and the ref counts him out. Or E, 
Enzo spends the entire match punching Dawson and Rusev in the face as his only offensive maneuver, and the ref disqualifies him because technically you're not supposed to be punching people with closed fists in a wrestling match. None of these are what I would have predicted. So this is maybe not the best strategy, but when have I ever really employed strategy on this? I just think <laughs> it would be funny if Sylvester LaFort tried to kick Cassidy in the balls. Okay, so your answer is B. Sylvester LaFort supposed to interfere in the match by kicking Cassidy in the balls behind the ref's back, but he's out of position and the ref sees him and disqualifies the team. Question number two. On the next episode, who says of their opponent, quote, he wants to hoard his love like the beaver hoards six to build his dam, while I want to spread my love across the world like the phoenix spreads his wings and soars off into the sunset. Oh, wow. I assure you, the only part of that I paraphrased is when I replaced proper nouns with pronouns, and I had to change the tense at one point because the guy is talking about himself in third person. Anyway, is it A, Bo Dallas, B, Leo Kruger? C. Xavier Woods. D. C.J. Parker. Or E. Sami Zayn. That feels like such a C.J. Parker thing to say because it's such a weird hippy dippy thing. I don't know that it is C.J. Parker, but it feels like it's got to be C.J. Parker. If it's not, what are they doing? All right. C.J. Parker is your answer. I do want to say I want to hear Leo Kruger say that, though. (laughs) I don't blame you. All right. Question number three. Following up on last episode's cheap pop quiz. Which of the following is a semi-popular online fan theory about NXT that incorporates evidence from both this episode and next episode, and that has a tangential connection to Doctor Who actress Karen Gillan? Okay. A semi-popular, a somewhat widespread fan theory on the wrestling internet. Okay. So A, Adrian Neville is actually Corey Graves' son from the future. (laughs) Kind of like some stuff that happens in Doctor Who that I won't spoil. Is it B, the mirror in the women's locker room is sentient and evil, like the mirror in the 2013 film Oculus, starring Karen Gillan? Oh my god. C, Charlotte and Bailey were secretly raised together as sisters by Ric Flair, similar to the MCU versions of Nebula and Gamora, with Charlotte as the kid who got everything and was always praised by her father, while Bailey was constantly ignored and has thus spent her life desperate for attention. Is it D? NXT is actually a video game like the one in the rebooted Jumanji franchise, and you can tell in a given week which wrestlers are being actively played and which are being controlled by a computer AI. Or is it E? Rick Victor and Conor O'Brien are the sons of a Mohawk sporting wrestler from the 80s named Mad Maxine who conceived them with an unknown demonic creature in a turn of events that wouldn't be out of place in Karen Gillan's first film, Outcast. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like, you've constructed a cathedral of weirdness and bullshit. And as a result, I cannot tell which parts are cathedral and which are just weirdness. It's all one thing now. I'm going to go with what I thought it was whenever you first read it, because it's the only thing I can possibly glom onto. My brain is going, these words are, don't go together. I guess it's the evil mirror. Because, <laughs> I mean, it might be evil. Certainly, Sasha and uh, Summer Rae were in front of it, and Summer Rae was being mean. Maybe the mirror possessed her? I don't know. 
<laughs> All right. Well, that is your answer is B, the mirror in the women's locker room is such an evil. Regardless of uh, what it turns out to be, I want everyone to know that the incorrect answers in this one uh, do not come from other instances of wrestling. I made them all up. So They're extraordinary. And I had to incorporate Karen Gillan's filmography and wrestlers that were all on this particular episode of NXT that we're covering today. So I'm proud of this question. <laughs> It's something, Miles. It's truly something. <laughs> all right. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan, Bob. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much to everybody out there who has become a patron of The Next Wrestling Fan by going to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan. We really appreciate you. What are we at now, Bob, in, in our in our goals? We are at $41. Right. And that means we are a mere $9 away from making a bonus episode. We are very close to a bonus episode about a romance novel and another bonus episode about something else. So really, if you're just craving more of us talking about shit, you should really go over to uh, patreon.com slash NXTWrestlingFan. Uh, you get many things when you go over to that website, including recognition on this show in the form of me bestowing upon you an NXT wrestler name. And, and I uh, haven't heard these ahead of time, so I am very excited. So uh, we're not going to do all of them at once. I'm just going to start with a few here and then we'll you guys know how this works when you get thanked on podcasts for Patreon. You keep listening. Your name will eventually show up. But I do have to get a few in here because we had a tournament. I don't know if you knew this, uh, Bob, but we had a tournament to crown the first ever NXT wrestling fan champion. I didn't even get the Facebook invite for it. I can't believe this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, let me tell you about some of the competitors here. We had to we had to rework their indie names a little bit to something a little bit more um, NXT wrestling fan friendly. So, okay. uh, for example, our, our very first Patreon subscriber was Krista Contino Zombie, uh, who I happen to know is a lawyer. Uh, as a result, her NXT name is now Courtney Barrister. Oh, my God, I love it. Barrister, what a strong last name. That's amazing. I briefly contemplated attorney at war, but I like attorney at ma. Attorney at ma. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Another independent wrestler that we signed that we had to change names, sadly, uh, mostly to coincide with our partnership with Netflix and their most recent series, uh, Lock and Key, I believe is what it's called. Uh, and mm. so the new name of former independent wrestler David Kehoe is now Ferguson Lock. Ooh, that's very good. That's got something to it. Also snapped up very talented performer Jeff Pollier. Uh, we gave him the very exciting name Paul Jeffries. Paul Jeffries sounds like he knows some things about white collar crime that he's not going to tell people. That's right. And then finally, we have the great David Waters, of course. It was difficult to come up with a character for David Waters that we thought would play in front of the camera. We eventually did decide on a profit gimmick. Mm, uh, so, okay. you know, kind of a harbinger going around the end is nigh type deal. Uh, and he will be known in the next wrestling fan as Watership Doom. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, that's very good. But sadly, the tournament was ultimately won by our first ever NXT wrestling fan champion, Neil Butler, who will be known henceforth as all caps Neil only we're we're respelling it, Bob. Uh, it's not N E A L as his real name is. It is oh, okay. K N E E L. 
Oh, wow. So just a strong command of what to do whenever you get in the ring. That's right. And uh, as Neil Butler is a $10 patron of The Next Wrestling Fan, he actually was able to submit a few details to us about his wrestling persona and his character. And uh, in addition to having just the giant letters Neil across his butt, of course, uh, in highly stylized, mm. you know, easily copyable font. Um, <laughs> not Tempest Sands. He, not Tempest Sands. He has taken the usually fairly basic wrestling move of the test of strength, which is where you hold hands with someone above your head and try to like basically play mercy with them and bend their wrists down. He has actually turned that into a devastating submission hold called kneel before me. Nice. And after they've done so, if they're still up, he finishes them off with a devastating uppercut. So that is your current reigning and defending next wrestling fan champion. We should probably clarify. I don't know in case anybody, you know, wasn't sure. I'm pretty sure Neil is a heel. Oh, Neil is very much a heel. Yes. His character is one who thinks that all should bow at his feet and worship his greatness within the squared circle for at least the time being. You know, they have to because he is the next wrestling fan champion. Thank you so much to uh, Neil for pledging at the $10 level. Thank you so much to Jeff, David, also David, and Krista. Uh, and you can do the same if you would like to be a part of our ongoing fiction at patreon.com slash NXTWrestlingFan. I've got a feeling that uh, Neil's reign at the top might be short-lived. He's got some contenders coming for his throne. So we will see oh, if no. they also kneel before him. Oh, all right. Watch out. Speaking of, uh, of coming at the throne... <laughs> We have built rather an edifice on this wrestling podcast of comparing the wrestlers of 2013 NXT programming to D&D classes and races. However, any claim we had to being the the kings, queens, or other non-gendered monarchs of that topic have been completely blown away by Josh Faskehuff, who has gone on to a website that Megan Bob knows very well called An Archive of Our Own. Josh has constructed several articles there uh, with character sheets and rationale behind what they have chosen to do in translating numerous NXT wrestlers from 2013 into a fantasy setting. And I just have to tell you, it's fucking delightful. It's so great. I read about Enzo Amore and Big Cass and I didn't even hate it. In fact, I enjoyed it because Josh Fasky Huff, they're just the best. That's just how it is. I can't speak enough of their dedication to this project. We will also link to it in the description of this episode and also in the visual companion for this episode. So thank you so much, Josh. Uh, Your work is outstanding and I hope we see more of it because this is an ongoing series. We love it so much. Every time there's a new one, I am tickled. Bob, do you also love Facebook groups? Is that another thing that you love? You know, there's only one Facebook Uh group that I love. I don't, I'm others are fine and that's totally allowed to be existing and doing stuff. But there's one that has my heart. That is the smash fiction fan faction. Mm. And we just recently had a, a movie watch along night to watch vampires kiss a bananas, Nicholas cage film from the 1980s. I believe (sighs) it is from the 1980s. It is a bananas, Nicholas cage film. Those things are all true. (laughs) And if you would like, like to get in on the smash fiction fan faction which is now the hub for 
all things, you know, Garden Plaza with Skeletor, Smash Fiction, NXT wrestling fan, anything else that sort of springs to life out of, you know, the former hosts of Smash Fiction, Mm -hmm. you can get in on these movie watching stuff on these weird discussions that we're having. And currently, if you want to watch Cats with us, it looks like that's what we'll be watching next. Or if you would like to make sure that we do not watch Cats at all, come join the Smash Fiction fan faction and say, no, anything but Cats Dear God, save yourselves. Yeah, guys, seriously, come into the fan faction and search out the poll and vote for Repo the Genetic Opera because I only have one vote and there's only (laughs) so much I can do personally to prevent this calamity from occurring. Search on Facebook for the Smash Fiction fan faction and come join us. Can't wait to see you there. Yeah. And I can't wait to see all of you again here in two weeks on the next episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. That was very pure. I enjoyed it a lot. All right. He was so happy. He was. He sold the shit out of that. I was like, oh, man, he really <laughs> does love Sizzler. I also love the way Laforte said, and then we go to Sizzler. Yeah, like, obviously the most celebrated place one can go. I don't <laughs> I don't live in a place where we have Sizzler. I don't really know what Sizzler is. I'm assuming it's like Chili's, but not. I've never been to a Sizzler, so okay, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. We're like two people from uh, the Southwest going, buh.